Let us begin our sermon with prayer. Gracious Lord, as we look to your incarnation by viewing your human ancestor, David, we ask you to bless our sermon so that we may see your grace often comes to us through trial and tribulation. Let us learn to be patient and give us the faith to see your hand at work to deliver us and fulfill all your gracious plans for us. Amen. Our text for our sermon is the gospel history according to the Apostle Matthew as recorded in chapter 1, verses 5 through 6. Salmon was the father of Boaz, whose mother was Rahab. Boaz, the father of Obed, whose mother was Ruth. Obed, the father of Jesse, and Jesse, the father of King David. This is the gospel history of our Lord. Throughout this series, we have looked at the theme, Lessons on the Coming of Our Lord from His Genealogy. And today, as we look at David, we see we must be patient while waiting for his fulfillment. Now, David was not the first king of Israel. Saul was. Saul was very tall. Saul was the kind of guy you wanted, as far as visual appearance goes, to be your king. Saul knew the will of the Lord, and Saul often chose to ignore it, to bend it to Saul's will. Saul had become an unbeliever. So in 1 Samuel chapter 15, verse 1, we're told, The Lord said to Samuel, How long will you mourn for Saul, since I have rejected him as king over Israel? Fill your horn with oil and go. I'm sending you to Jesse of Bethlehem, for I see a king for myself among his sons. And so it is that Samuel goes off to anoint a son of Jesse. Now, seven of his sons are out are home, but one of them, the youngest, is out in the field. We'll get into it here in a minute. He's probably 10 to 12 years old at this age. But one side note we do want to go stop at is just to beginning with the very first son. In 1 Samuel 16, verses 1 through 7, we're told, When they had come, he looked at Eliab and said, Certainly this is the Lord's anointed. But the Lord said to Samuel, Do not look at his appearance or how tall he is, because I've rejected him. For the Lord does not look at things the way man does. For man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Seven sons pass in front of Samuel. All seven of them are rejected. Finally, Samuel says, do you have any other sons? Jesse says, well, I have one. He's out in the fields tending the flocks. All right, well, go get him. And they have to wait a little while. But we're told in 1 Samuel 16, verse 13, uh, so Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the presence of his brothers. The spirit of the Lord rushed on David with power from that day forward. After that, Samuel set out and returned to Ramah. We got to remember what it says there. The spirit of the Lord rushed on him. He has been anointed to be king. Later, we'll get into that in the sermon. David is anointed as king. But the spirit of the Lord already comes upon him. David's already a believer. So the spirit of the Lord comes upon him to give him gifts to function as the Lord's anointed. Now, they pick the young, the Lord has picked the youngest one of all of Jesse's kids and the one who's not even completely grown up yet. And we're told the Lord looks at the heart. The Lord doesn't look for the things human beings do. And that's a reminder for us because the same can be said of Christ. When you look at pagan myths of deliverers coming, like Hercules, for example, if you look at the Greeks, it, these are powerful people who have these uh, extra human powers. But Jesus was true God, all-powerful, all-knowing, present everywhere, yet he chooses to be present somewhere in the nation of Israel, and he chooses not to use all of his powers. And in fact, as he's nailed to the cross, 
He turns around while being nailed and prays, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And as the people ridicule him, in fact, to the two criminals crucified with him are ridiculing him. And the one turns around and comes to faith. And and Jesus tells him, truth of all truths, I tell you, today you will be with me in paradise. The way God chose to save you and I is not the way the world would choose. Oh, it's a display of power, a display of power in what the world thinks of as weakness. And it's also a reminder for us when it comes to ministers in the church. I do not use the word pastor, I use the word ministers. Pastor is a minister, but there are other ministers. Minister means servants, Sunday school teachers, council members, ladies' aid or ladies' league members uh, and, and, and office holders, obviously pastors and, and, and school teachers and such. Lots of times the people God chooses to teach his word and and to serve in in the church is not what people would look for. And in fact, it is often stated that people tend to look for a CEO, uh, if you will, of 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 a booming business. And it's often stated if the church were a business, it would go under. It's very clearly held up by God's miraculous grace. So as we learn these lessons in the coming of our Lord from his genealogy, we see we must be patient while waiting his fulfillment, but we see... The Lord chose different things than what the world would choose when he chose David. Same thing, uh, the way he chose to save us and, and even those servants he gives and the fact that he's even chose you. Now, the next thing we want to cover is that David was very young when this anointing took place. We're not told how old he was. And the first time we're really given a hint as to David's age, besides Jesse making it clear his youngest son's out in the flocks, is when David goes up against the giant of the Philistines, Goliath. Now, we don't want to use Goliath's words because Goliath is mocking him. But before he squares off against Goliath, he appears to Saul, who was king at the time. And in 1 Samuel verse, chapter 17, verse 33, we're told, But Saul said to David, You cannot go against this Philistine to fight with him, because you are just a boy. And he has been a warrior since he was a youth. Now, the Hebrew word user that we translate for boy is Nahar. And that can cover different stages up to being a young man. We recognize that David is old enough to tend to his family's flocks alone. So that makes him uh, more than likely at least 12 years old. But Nahar, in the context that Saul uses it, would make David no more than 15 years old when he appears to take care of the giant Goliath. So what we can say is, is it's probably been six, uh, six months to a year at least since David had been anointed when he appears to take on the giant Goliath. So we can say when David was anointed, he was probably 12 to 14 years old. And when he appears to Goliath, he really isn't any more than 15 years old. So David was very young when he was anointed again to be king. He doesn't become king yet. And that's something we want want to keep before our eyes during this sermon. Well, it also applies to Christ. Uh, Christ was often called rabbi by people. Now, when you think of a rabbi, you know, it's just like when you think of a college professor, you tend to think of somebody who's not wet behind the ears, somebody who's been around the block, somebody who's old enough to have a lot of experiential knowledge and have acquired a lot of book knowledge. Jesus began his public ministry roughly at age 30. This is when you were considered old enough to not be completely wet behind the ears. And when he's crucified, he's probably 33 to 34 years old. He was pretty young. His life was cut off at a pretty young age for your, so that he could save your and my sins. 
And so we got to be careful uh, when we apply this even to our ministers, if you will. Uh, they say, for example, in the pastoral ministry, what most people look for in, in what they think of as a good pastor is a guy who has 30 some years of experience, yet is only 30 years old, is fairly young. Uh, and what about you? You may often feel like you're too wet behind the ears. You don't know enough to share the gospel, the good news of salvation in Christ with your neighbor. Or maybe you feel like you don't know enough to serve. Well, God had anointed David to be king and gave him his Holy Spirit. I said David between age 12 and 14. Sometimes the best thing is if you feel naive, then come to a Bible study and learn the word. But lots of times God still gives us the Holy Spirit to work even when we feel like we're naive in sharing the good news of salvation in our Savior. So, so far we've seen the Lord chose different things than the world would. And David was very young when he was anointed. Now, David would need training to be a king, right? So in 1 Samuel chapter 16, verse 14, sometime probably shortly after he was anointed, but before he takes on Goliath, we're told, uh, starting at verse 14, the spirit of the Lord departed from Saul and an evil spirit from the Lord tormented him. In other words, this is a demon. The Lord had, uh, Saul had rejected the Lord. The Lord's spirit leaves him and, and, and it leaves void for a demon, but the Lord uses it. So, so Saul's servant said to him, please listen to us. An evil spirit from God is tormenting you. Our Lord, please command your servants who are here with you to seek out a man who is skilled at playing the lyre. Then when the evil spirit from God is on you, he will play the lyre and you will feel better. So Saul said to his servants, find a man who can play well and bring him to me. Then one of the young attendants replied, As a matter of fact, I have seen a son of Jesse from Bethlehem who is a skillful player. He is strong, a brave, a brave man, fit for war. He shows good judgment in what he says and is a handsome man. And the Lord is with him. So Saul sent messengers to Jesse and said, Send me your son David who is with the sheep. Jesse took a donkey loaded with bread, a container of wine, and a young goat, and he sent them with his son David to Saul. David came to Saul and stood before him. Saul loved him, and David became his armor bearer. We have to keep this in mind. David becomes his armor bearer. So Saul sent to Jesse, saying, Permit David to remain and serve me, for I am very pleased with him. Whenever the Spirit from God came over Saul, David would take the lyre in his hand and play, so Saul would be soothed and feel better, and the evil spirit would depart from him. God sets up the circumstances in which David would actually be in the palace and see the workings of the political world. Oftentimes, maybe even see the awful workings so he would learn to cling to faith in his Lord and do those with integrity when he is king. Uh, he becomes the king's armor bearer. With that, he would get to see firsthand action uh, battles and things like that. Uh, wow, when we did this, it didn't work. When we did that, it worked for us. It's kind of like golf caddies. There's more than one person who started out poor and is a golf caddy, but by being a golf caddy, learned how to golf and became a world master. So God is already providing the training for David so that in the future he can be king. Now, it appears... He's gone back home. It seems that his seven brothers are fighting in this war against the Philistines. And when this giant Goliath comes forward, and you can imagine fighting a battle with Philistines. You may be winning, but you got this guy like a lawnmower going through everybody because he's huge. And, and they make the, the offer. They say, hey, 
Why don't, why don't you pick a champion? We'll pick a champion. Not, no one else needs to die. And we'll, your champion will fight our champion, and we'll consider the winner. We'll consider that the, the winning army, and the other army will be considered the loser, and that'll be the end of it. And, and uh, Goliath is making taunts towards Israel's people, making fun of them. And because they're God's people, he's really making fun of God in all of this. Well, David seems to have gone back to the flocks. It appears probably, and we're just guessing here, that Jesse had asked, uh, can I have my one son back since the other seven are at war? And when he gets there and he hears these taunts, what's being done about this? Now, remember, he has the Holy Spirit. He has extra gifts coming to him because he's been anointed. And he can't stand hearing this. And he has a tremendous trust in the Lord. And he's able to reason by faith that, hey, I've taken on lions and bears and I don't even have to get close to this guy because I'm pretty good with my sling. But he also has the Holy Spirit. A lot of people get confused and they think the story of David and Goliath is standing up to your bullies or my God's bigger than your God. Goliath was blaspheming the Lord because of the taunts he was saying to the people and the Lord had anointed David and the Lord blessed David's effort. David knew he'd been anointed and David had the confidence to say, "Huh, uh you are not coming after God's people this way. Now, as it would turn out, he had also been promised. Uh, Saul had said this before David came along. Anybody who takes on Goliath and wins would get his daughter Micah's hand in marriage. So David ends up Saul's uh, son-in-law. This also now makes him part of, shall we say, the king's cabinet, giving him even more training and preparation to be king. Now, ultimately, David becomes a general in Saul's army, and David is the most successful general. He's more successful than Saul. And in 2 Samuel chapter 18, verses 7, after coming back from a battle, uh, verses 7 through 9, we're told, the women sang to each other as they played, Saul has slain his thousands and David his ten thousands. Saul became furious because he resented this statement. He said, they've credited David with tens of thousands, but to me, they have credited only thousands. What more can be given to him but the kingship? So Saul eyed David suspiciously from that day on. This is going to cause a lot of crosses in David's life. But Saul at this point figures out, I've got a very successful general. God has trained him up to be a general, which is going to be a great trait for a king. Saul figures out God has made him his successor to be king in all this. And instead of accepting the Lord's will again, Saul moves forward with his own will. Saul constantly has his problem. In the meantime, as we look at uh, lessons uh, learned from the coming of our Savior through his genealogy, and we see we must be patient while waiting his fulfillment, we see the Lord created the circumstances that would train David. Now, what about you? When you feel inadequate to share the good news of salvation with your neighbor, the Holy Spirit teaches through experience. I want to be careful how you understand that. The Holy Spirit uses the word. That's his primary vehicle that he uses. Lots of times people and people think that they're getting messages from the Holy Spirit and they contradict the word of God. That is not a message from the Holy Spirit. What I mean by saying the Holy Spirit teaches through experience is when I was a much younger man and I was uh, trying to share the word of God with my friends, there are times I really felt like I blew it. But, you know, we can't be afraid to make mistakes because what happens when people do that is then they don't share the word of God at all or they never they're never willing to serve any council or any committee uh, in the in the church either. 
Uh, the Holy Spirit teaches through experience, and, and He teaches. In other words, when we make our mistakes, the Holy Spirit can send other can send other Christians along to clean it up. Uh, he can even give you the opportunity to clean it up. But it's through these that we start learning. Wow, I proclaimed the law too hard here. I didn't proclaim it hard enough. Oh, I need to be I need to be clearer when I proclaim the good news of salvation in Christ. So unless we're willing to to uh, go through those experiences and be willing to make those mistakes, we're not willing to learn. So be willing to learn. The Lord created the circumstances that would train David. Obviously, he offers you Bible study and sermons, but he also offers life experience, which he uses. He uses your mistakes to train you. Now, I've just mentioned a minute ago that Saul figures out that David's going to replace him as king. And Saul proceeds to hunt down David. He is trying to kill him. And David has to flee for his life. He spends a long time fleeing for his life, having done no wrong to Saul. We want to cover in 1 Samuel chapter 23, verses 25 through 29, we're told of a time when Saul almost catches him. Saul and his men went to look for David. When David was told about it, he went down to the rock and stayed in the wilderness of Maon. When Saul heard that, he pursued David in the wilderness of Maon. Saul was going along one side of the mountain, and David and his men were on the other side. David hurried to get away from Saul and his men, who were trying to surround David and his men in order to capture them. But a messenger came to Saul and said, Hurry, come back, because the Philistines have made a raid on the land. So Saul turned back from pursuing David and went to confront the Philistines. That is why the place is named Selah Hamalakoth. Then David went up from there and stayed in the stronghold of Engedi. Saul almost had him, and then just at the right time, a messenger comes and says, Hurry! Our enemies are overtaking us. Do you think that was mere coincidence? We have covered several times in this that there are no coincidences with the Lord. The Lord used David's enemies and the Israelites' enemies and the Lord's enemies as a way actually to deliver David. David spent some time, like I said, trying to flee from Saul and trying not to kill Saul. But ultimately, after that battle with the Philistines, David and, and the guys that, that are with him are hiding deep in a cave. And Saul comes looking for David and he actually goes inside the mouth of this cave to relieve his bowels. And uh, we're told that uh, starting at 1 Samuel 24, halfway through verse 3, at that time David and his men were far back in the interior of the cave. David's men said to him, look, this is the day that the Lord told you about when he said, I will deliver your enemy into your hand and you will do to him whatever seems good to you. So they're arguing pretty good. This is a good time for you to kill Saul and be done with this being hunted down like a dog. So David got up and cut off the edge of Saul's robe without being noticed. Afterwards, David had a guilty conscience because he had cut off the edge of Saul's robe. He said to his men, May I be cursed if I do something like this to my master, who is the Lord's anointed, that I would stretch out my hand against him, since he is the Lord's anointed. With these words, David restrained his men and did not allow them to attack Saul. Saul got up, left the cave, and went on his way. David got up and followed him out of the cave and shouted to him, My lord, the king! When Saul looked back at him, David bowed face down to the ground to show respect. David said to Saul, why do you listen to the words of people who say, watch out, David is seeking to harm you? This is David's way of saying that's a lie, right? Now, verse 10, this very day you have seen with your own eyes how the Lord delivered you into my hand in the cave. Some urged me to kill you, but I spared you because I said, I will not stretch out my hand against my master because he is the Lord's anointed. 
Take a look at this. My father, take a good look at the piece of your robe that is here in my hand, because I cut off the edge of your robe, but did not kill you. You can be sure that I do not have any evil intent, and I'm not rebelling. I've not sinned against you, even though you keep hunting for me to take my life. May the Lord judge between you and me, and may the Lord avenge me on you, but my hand will not be against you. As the ancient proverb says, out of the wicked come wicked deeds, but my hand will not be against you. David continues explaining this. In verse 17, Saul responds. He said to David, you are more righteous than I, for you have treated me well, but I've treated you badly. You have made it clear today how you have been good to me, because when the Lord delivered me into your hand, you did not kill me. If a man finds his enemy, will he let him go away unharmed? May the Lord reward you with good for what you have done for me today. Now I know without a doubt that you will become king, and that the kingship over Israel will be established in your hand. So swear to me now by the Lord that you will not cut off my descendants after me, and that you will not destroy my name from my father's house. David promised this to Saul with an oath. Saul went back home, but David and his men went up to the stronghold. A couple of things we want to cover. There will be one person who survives in Saul's house. And David takes him into his house and he takes care of him. He was a crippled man. But the big thing we want to focus on here is look at how David could have killed Saul and he didn't. And he even shows Saul, look, I'm not trying to kill you. I had my opportunity. And it's a reminder for us. David was patient while waiting for the Lord's plan to unfold. David even said, the Lord had anointed this man to be king. Well, it's admitted he's his father-in-law. I'm going to let this happen in the Lord's timing. Now, when we're in the church and we're serving, sometimes we have brothers and sisters in Christ, they can be outright liars, can't they? They can come after us and they can attack us. And lots of times they're not very good at repenting like Saul here at least finally did after having their face uh, placed before him. We always want to show an unrepentant sinner their sin. But we got to be careful that the way we take revenge. David is a really good example, even for us, of being patient and letting the Lord deal with the person while we show them their sin. And when they do repent, we show them their Savior, the good news of forgiveness. So David patiently waited for the Lord's plan to unfold. And ultimately what happens is in a battle against the Philistines, Saul recognizes the battle is lost and he's done for. And he falls on his sword. He becomes one of the five people in all of the scripture mentioned for committing suicide. His armor bearer, who would have been a replacement some, uh, for King for David, also does the same thing then in despair. So David does become king. And in 2 Samuel chapter 5, verse 4, we're told David was 30 years old when he became king, and he ruled as king for 40 years. So David is between 12 and 14 when he's anointed to be king, and now he's 30. So we're talking 15 to 17 years later. David had to be patient while waiting for the Lord's plan to unfold. And it's a reminder for you and I, because we get mocked by unbelievers. They're waiting for their Lord to return. Didn't come today. Yeah, be patient for the Lord's plan to unfold. And it may be that he's going to bring that mocker into the faith and save them as well, using you. Sometimes in life, we, we know there's things God has, has promised to us, and we're going, Lord, is this going to happen? Be patient for the Lord's timing. Now, we often have preached sermons in the past on David's sin with Bathsheba, but we do know when he becomes king and establishes his palace in Jerusalem, one day he looks over, sees her, and says, hubba hubba. He commits adultery with her and then actually ends up using the hand of the Amorites to murder her husband to cover this up. That was not good. That's not an, that's not an example of, of somebody letting their new man have the steering wheel in life. However, we recognize also the Lord let him suffer a chastisement for it so that he wouldn't do it again. 
But the Lord also removed that sin and the Savior would come through a descendant of David's relationship with Bathsheba. So just a quick overview of that is a reminder for us. This coming Savior has come to save sinners. David was a sinner. You're a sinner. So often atheists and unbelievers think that Christians are so judgmental. A real Christian understands they're a savior and it's why they clean, uh, they're a sinner and it's why they're so happy that the savior did come and take on human flesh to be perfect in our place and take the punishment for us, the punishment of hell so that we're sin, saved. So as we look at the genealogy of our Lord, we see we must be patient while waiting for his fulfillment. The Lord chose different things than the world would. David was very young when he was anointed. The Lord created the circumstances that would train David. David patiently waited for the Lord's plan to unfold. And we see the Lord took on human flesh because God saved sinners. Sinners like David, sinners like you, and sinners like myself. Amen. Now may the God of all grace fill you with complete hope, peace, joy, and love so that you overflow with hope, peace, joy, and love by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen.